first chapter of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 almost exclusively, along with Romans chapter 8, those two, uh, those two passages. So if you want to grab both, you can go ahead and do that. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, before I read, let's pray together for some of these requests, as well as uh, pray for uh, the message tonight. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much for your goodness, and uh, Lord, for the great plan you have for us. Lord, we, we rest even as we face great difficulty, and uh, we see others that we love facing difficulty, but yet we rest in knowing that you are a good God, that you are full of compassion, and that you do not look upon us coldly as we bear the effects of sin and we see those effects around us. We take comfort in knowing that you are, uh, you are compassionate and full of pity toward us and that you give us grace and that we know that you have a plan that is larger than all of these things that we, uh, that we see around us and that you will do good uh, especially in our latter end, even if now it's, it's hard. Lord, help us to trust you. We do pray for these requests that uh, people have, have asked uh, us to pray for. I think of uh, Sandra, Miss um, uh, Hardin's sister, who is uh, dealing with her husband, her husband's passing. Please give her grace and wisdom and the decisions that must be made. Lord, we think of Pastor Craig as he's uh, suffering in the hospital, we pray that you'd have mercy on him and, and that you would help him, Lord, and especially give him peace. And We also pray for uh, Miss Kay, uh, that you would uh, also have mercy upon her and, and upon Don, and that uh, you would help the treatments that, are, that they're doing to be effective for her. Uh, also for my aunt, uh, Lord, you are the one who has the power to heal. And uh, you know the body, you made the body, and so you can heal the body, Lord, just like the song that was sung, we, we must only believe. And uh, Lord, we believe that you have power and, and we know that you're full of mercy and that you're inclined to help and to answer. And so we, we trust you to do that. We also pray for Mrs. Stewart. Lord, please help her and uh, give her the grace she needs uh, to get over this illness quickly, Lord. And we also want to ask you for this rally tomorrow at the hospital. Uh, we pray for your blessing upon it and, and that uh, everyone would have proper decorum and and respect, and uh, Lord, and the voices would be heard, and I give uh, Brother Joseph wisdom as he's there and, and deals with that situation. Lord, we, we just ask you to, uh, to meet with us tonight. We ask you to uh, speak to us through your word. Lord, guide us as we study. Help us to understand, open, and, and enlighten our eyes, the eyes of our understanding. Help us to receive the spiritual truth you have for us here to, to encourage us in our daily walk with you and encourage us as to what your, uh, your plan and purposes are for us. Lord, thank you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse, uh, start in verse number 3. We're going to read verse 3 through verse number 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 14. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the, the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory." Now, as you can see in uh, chapter 1, the, the verses we've read, there's some overlap with what we studied this morning about redemption and especially about the blood of Christ. In fact, the word redemption is mentioned here at least a couple of times uh, in this context. Uh, but tonight, what we want to look at is a different subject altogether. Um, and it's a subject that, uh, that is that is one that's probably very difficult to understand, and it's the subject of predestination. And uh, when you talk about the, the idea of predestination, uh, this is a subject that has been debated for a very long time. And by that, what, by pre, the subject of predestination that has been debated is predestination as it is, as it is defined thus, that God has chosen those who will be saved and who will be lost before the foundation of the world, and, uh, and that he brings that to pass. That's a, that's a doctrine, that's the doctrine of predestination that people have believed, and, and uh, I don't believe that, but that's what, that's what a lot of people think of when they think of predestination. But the word, uh, the, the Bible does teach predestination. The word is in the Bible, and there are primarily two passages in the Scripture uh, that deal with this subject. And it's a subject that I think, it, 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 I know it encourages me in my Christian life, and I trust that when we understand it, it can encourage all of us as to what God's purpose is for us. Predestination. It's not a bad word. It's not a four-letter word. It has a lot more letters than that. So those two passages that are primarily cover predestination are Ephesians chapter 1, which we've just read, and Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But let me give you a definition, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about when we say predestination. You know, I, you know, if the per, pretty much every time that I've had the opportunity to, to speak at the church, I almost always give a definition. Uh, one of the reasons is because I'm a word nerd, and the other reason is because I think a lot of words have a lot of baggage attached to them that make it hard for us to understand what they're talking about. And so, when we understand what the word means in general, it helps us to to further hone our understanding of what, what is being spoken. So what does it mean to predestinate? Somebody, somebody help me. What does it mean to predestinate something? Brother Dave. 
Okay? To predetermine beforehand the outcome. Anyone else? Was that, did I see a hand there? She's looking around. I'm looking at you. No, no hand. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Predestinate means, it means to foreordain or pre-appoint a person to a particular fate or to do something. To predetermine or foreordain as an outcome or the course of events. So Brother David was right on. It means to decide beforehand what will be the outcome. Now that's, that's all fine and good for, for the Lord to do because He has the power to bring it to pass. There's not a lot that we can foreordain, but there is a great deal that God can foreordain. In fact, if God had chosen to foreordain and select and choose who would be saved and who would be not, He could have done so. Uh, but He didn't do that. And the word predestination, as, as we see here, is not referring to that. But God has. The Bible teaches it. He uses it to refer to His work. He has predetermined and foreordained and decided beforehand what would be the outcome in some matters. For instance, God is, you've got to remember that God, God exists outside of time. He is, he, and this goes back to the, the, what they call the, the arguments of cosmology. That is how the world came into being. And we know that the world, which is matter, which is space, which is time, had to be created, because it had a beginning, it had to have a creator who was outside of space and time and matter and who was not dependent. God doesn't need oxygen. God doesn't need time. God doesn't need space. God doesn't need air to breathe or He doesn't need the stars or the warmth of the sun or anything like that. He exists completely outside of that. And so, because he's outside of time, he doesn't see it the same way we do. Now, in the Bible, he teaches us in those terms to help us understand because we live within those boundaries. Our life starts at a point, and it, it goes to a point, and then it extends into eternity in the future direction. But as far as the past is concerned, that's kind of a mystery to us. It's something we never can uh, can't understand. That's why there's such a... Uh, there's such a, a fascination on a lot of people. I know with me, but probably with a lot of other people with the idea of, you know, what would happen if things, if different things had been done in different times. And uh, those are things nice to ponder. But, but predestination is something that God, it, it deals with uh, the Lord's power because He is outside of time. That's why we have, a, we have that's why He can predetermine the outcome of events and then He can make it happen. That's the key. Now, as we see here, let's dive into chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse number 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all, notice what it says, spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, let me make a point here. The blessings that God has given to you as a New Testament Christian, the blessings that God has given to you as a New Testament Christian, are primarily spiritual in nature. That does not mean that He has not given us physical blessings. But they are primarily spiritual blessings. And if we could have spiritual eyes to open, opened to see and maybe weigh the two out on a scale, on a balance, we put the physical blessings God has given to us, like health and money and provision and you know those kinds of things, 
And we, we put it on a balance. On the, on the other side, we put the spiritual blessings. The spiritual blessings would far outweigh the physical by a long shot. But those, and, and, and I think we got to be careful that we do not overemphasize the spiritual blessings to the, the, the neglect, uh, overemphasize the physical blessings to the, the, the neglect of the spiritual blessings. Because the, what does this verse say? If I were to say, if I were to say to you, give me a blessing God has given to you. And if, if you were to say it to me, my mind would probably race to what? It'd probably race to health or how much money I have or some good outcome of some event that I was hoping for, maybe related to work or school or something like that. If, for instance, if for my family, you know, my mom's in the hospital, but if she's discharged from the hospital tomorrow, I would say that's a blessing, right? That's not bad, but it's not spiritual either. It's good, but it's not spiritual. That's because our minds automatically think in those terms because those things are right in front of our face. All the things that deal with the world and, and those, the five senses, they're right here. They're right here. So sometimes we can't see anything beyond that. But in, in reality, there are far more blessings that are spiritual blessings that are just as real, though they are unseen. Just because something is invisible does not mean it's less true. And it says here that these spiritual blessings are in heavenly places. Notice what it says. In Christ. Notice, notice what it says, verse 6, uh, verse 4. According as He hath chosen us in Him. Verse number 6, in the, the last three words, in the beloved, referring to Jesus. And then you look, at, look down at verse 10. Gather, all, gather in one all things in Christ. End of verse 10. Even in Him. So these spiritual blessings, and this is, this is a, 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 a true doctrinal point. Everyone that has put their faith in Christ and in His blood, like we, like we studied this morning, has been placed in Christ. And because of that position in Christ, that is from the view of God, they are in Christ. They're in Him. As one body, we are in Him. And all the blessings that we have access to we have access to because of that position. All the blessings, again, all the spiritual blessings we have, we have because of our position in Christ. Because of Him. Not because of good things we've done, but because we are in Him. And that's what verse number 3 says. The spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Christ, in Christ. And in verse 4, verse 4 says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now that refers to a time before there was a world. Before the, the, before the world was founded, that is, before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Okay? He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now if I stop there, if I stop there, it might be confusing. Like if I said, God has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Well, that might lead you to believe that that's God's picking winners and losers in this, right? But, it said, but there is an end mentioned. If you read, the sentence, you read the sentence further, it says, 
He's chosen us before the in Him before the foundation of the world. The phrase in Him is important too because he's, he's choosing a category of people. That is everyone that is in Christ. In other words, everyone that is found in Christ, these things apply to. But what are, the, what are these things? And he's actually listing all the blessings. I won't list them all, but if you pay attention to, to our study here, you'll see there are many, many blessings that are given here. He had chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So the outcome is not salvation. The outcome is not salvation. The choosing is not unto salvation. The choosing is to our state. Listen, and I'm going to say more about this in a minute. God is going, God is going, God has determined that He is going to make us holy. And in the final, in the final outcome of it all, every single person that's in Christ will be pure and spotless and holy, regardless of the way we are now. He has determined to do it, and it will be done, because He has so determined. Furthermore, verse 5, it says this, Having predestinated us, there's that ugly old word, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Okay, let me ask you a question as we look at, look at this. It says, God has predestinated us to what? To what? Adoption. He has, pre, he has predetermined the outcome. He has predetermined that all of those people that are in Christ will have a particular state, will have a particular condition and relationship with Him that is special. And that state is adoption. Now, let me say a few things about this. Adoption is, is, is a privilege that is reserved only for those of us that are in Christ. This is, uh, this, and this privilege and, and God's purpose uh, in adoption was not extended to people in the, in, the, in the previous era, that is, in the Old Testament. They were not in Christ because Christ had not yet come. In Christ is another word for church. It's, it's, it, they're, they're all synonyms. But there was no church at that time because that was not God's purpose at that time. And a thorough, a thorough study of the Bible will show these things. But it was not God's purpose for those people like David and Noah and Abraham and Daniel. Those were godly men. They were believers in the Lord and they're in heaven right now for sure. But they were not in Christ. They lived and died before that time ever came. They did not have access then to this standing. This is a standing reserved for those that are in Christ in verse number 3. These are these spiritual blessings. He has predestinated us into the adoption of children. You say, why does that really, what does it really matter? What does it really matter? Because with adoption comes an inheritance. And that's where really the rubber meets the road. And with adoption comes the Spirit of God. And I'll show you that in just a minute. But you, we make a great mistake. Here's the thing. The, the tendency when we read the Bible is we read the whole Bible, and we should read the whole Bible. But we read different parts of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and we read it, 
as if it's talking about us in particular. When God actually says that the things that were written before, uh, aforetime were written, were written what? For our admonition and for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Have hope. They were not written d- directly about us in particular. They were written about other people for our learning. And then there are other parts of the Bible, uh, specifically the New Testament, that is written directly about us in our time, the time after the Lord has risen from the dead and before he returns again. That's, that's our time. Just like if you, were, if, you were to, if you were to live in the time of David and time of the kings, he would have the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, and he would uh, have lived under that, set, on, under that setup, and he would have known of prophets. And we, don't, we can't make heads or tails a lot of that stuff. We just read it in the Old Testament, but we live in a different era. And, and if we try to lump all the different people in the Bible into one big group and interpret the Bible just as one general group, it leads to all kinds of doctrinal problems, all kinds of problems. The Lord makes distinctions according to His purposes. And when this, you know what? When this era is over, when the Lord returns... And takes his people. It actually says it, right? Uh, Look what it says in verse number 10. He says, That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven. You know what that is, right? That's people that have died. They're in heaven. And which are on earth. That's what? That's people that are alive. Even in him. In other words, he's going to gather everyone that's in Christ, both that have gone on before and that have lived now. He's going to gather all them together. Now we know that. And when this, this era is over, this, if you want to say this epoch is over, God will move on to another purpose. He'll move on back to his purposes with Israel. But, but this group will be finished and God will turn to another, just like he's done in the past. But for our group, God has determined some things in advance that He is going to do no matter what. He has told us, He has said, said, this is what I'm going to do. No one can stop it. You can't stop it. The devil can't stop it. The world can't stop it. No one can stop it. I have determined it and I will see it through to the end. It's an amazing thing. And one of the things he's determined is he is going and he has indeed already, he has already adopted us into his family. Now, how do I know that? It says this, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. And then if you look at Romans, I'll read this and then we'll look at Romans later, but I'll read it right now just for for brevity. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. Look at what it says here. The Bible says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So listen, if you and I, if we do not have, if I do not have, if you do not have God's Spirit dwelling in you, you are not in Christ. That's what it says, right? That is a mark, a sure mark of someone being born again and being a child of God. He says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let's jump on down to verse number 
14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of, a spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but ye have received the Spirit, capital S, of what? Adoption. Whereby, that is, by means, uh, by means of the Spirit of God, we cry, Abba, Father. You know what that means? That means because I have the Spirit of God, that's the re- that, that is the mark of my adoption. And because I'm adopted, going back to Ephesians, I'm His child. And that means I'm a joint heir with Christ. That means, what does it mean to be a joint heir? Pastor Stewart has touched on this a number of times. It means everything he inherits, I inherit. Everything that he owns, I own. Because I'm in him. And I'm his child. Old Testament saints could not, bra- could not boast in that. Now, let's look at this. Now that we understand this predestination, notice what it says in verse 5 in Ephesians chapter 1. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Now notice that last phrase, according to the good pleasure of His will. That occurs over and over and over in this passage. It's in chapter 1, verse 5. It's in chapter 1, verse 6. It says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 7, at the end, according to the riches of His grace. Verse 9 It says, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Verse number 11, he says, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You know what that means? It's simple. Number one, God has determined that everyone that is in Christ will be exalted to a, by adoption, will be exalted to a level of a son of God. And therefore, with Christ, will inherit all things with Him. And that is not only Jews, but also Gentiles. And that's all of us have been lifted up to such a high position. And the question is, why did God do it? Why did God choose to do this? And this is where the the idea of predestination comes in. God did it after taking counsel with only himself. He asked no one. He didn't care about their opinion. He chose to do it. And he chose to do it. Listen, you see the repetition of the word grace, his grace, riches of his grace, the pleasure with he has purpose in himself. Why did God choose to do it like that? Why did God, why did God choose to give us who are, who are nothings, who have nothing to boast of, such a high and exalted position and such, such unimaginable, right now we can imagine it. But if we truly knew those spiritual blessings, we definitely would say they're unimaginable. Why would He give us such unimaginable blessings? It was out of nothing but His goodwill toward us, His kindness toward us. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you're already there, it says it actually says this in verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God wanted us wanted to make to make an example of us, a shining example not of evil, but of God's goodness and grace. 
Here's the thing. That's what God has determined to do for you. So predestination deals not with who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. But predestination deals with God's plan, intention, and determination toward those that trust in Christ. It's totally different. It's definitely not a word we should be afraid of. In fact, we should take great comfort in that. Now let's, let's keep reading and hopefully we'll see a few more things before we look at Romans. Verse 9. The Bible says, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. What is a mystery? What is a mystery? That's a Bible word that comes up over and over. Exactly. So a mystery is a mystery. The whole idea of a mystery is that it's, it's unknown. You watch a mystery on TV, you don't know who the bad guy is, right? It's a, you don't know. But this says what? having made known unto us the mystery of His will. So what He's done is He has revealed the mystery. These are two contrasting ideas. It has been made known by God. In other words, the future that He has, that he has in mind and that He has purposed for us is sure. Because He has already revealed, this is what I'm going to do. Now, he's not, now, this is a little bit different. This is not God is foretelling what's going to happen. God is predetermining. You see, there's a difference. One is just telling you about what tomorrow's news is. The other is causing tomorrow's news. And God has predetermined these things in our life, these blessings. God has seen the outcome, and He has revealed it to us so that we know His will. Look at verse number 11 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Here's this word again. Being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Verse 12. That we should be to the praise of His glory. Now we get into time words. Here's the time words. Who, what's the next word, Benjamin? Who first trusted in Christ. See, the time word here, not only here, but look, look, keep reading. In whom ye also trusted, here's another time word, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that, that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So here's the way it works. God, the, the gospel comes to a man or a woman. They hear the gospel of their salvation they respond in faith and they believe the gospel. They trust in Jesus and they, they trust in His blood like we studied this morning. And when they trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit places that person in Christ. And then the predeterminate counsel of God comes into effect. And that person that person, God has already determined that that person and everyone in Christ will have a final outcome as he, has, as he has described. 
Now let's jump down to verse number 12. Uh, we were already read verse 12, verse 13. Here's the, here's the thing I want you to understand why verse 12 and 13 are important for those of you that have studied the ideas of Calvinism and unconditional election. There are people that teach that there are people that, that teach that because God has that God has chosen who will be saved and who will not be saved and whoever he has picked he, he has selected they call the elect and they will be he will then call them and they will come and they will believe and the rest will not will, will not do that and it, it's it's extremely complicated it is very very complicated but just suffice it to say that what you have in verse 12 and verse 13 is you have time words where God says the whole beginning of this thing is when you trust in Christ whom you first trust who first trusted in Christ because you can't be in Christ you're not placed into Christ and all of those blessings come into effect until you first trust in Christ see there's an order and you can't trust in Christ until you first heard the, the gospel. And so there's an order to it. But see, when you get that backward and you get to where you want, you want to prove a certain doctrinal persuasion, everything starts getting messed up. I won't go into all that, but, uh, but just, just be aware that that's, that that's the case. So let's jump, jump over to Romans chapter 8, and we'll finish up here. Verse number 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. You'll see the same terminology, the same words, and hopefully it'll reaffirm the things we're saying, and we'll see some practical things as well. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now we've seen that word purpose before in Ephesians, right? What has God purposed to do? He's, he's purposed to make us pure and clean and spotless in His sight. He's purposed that he's going, to make us, he's going to make us His children, which He's already done. He's purposed that he is, going to, uh, he is going to give us an inheritance that is the same inheritance, a joint heir with Christ. We will inherit all things. Our future is pretty good. And it says this, In that context of His purpose, He says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So this is not God saying, this is not God patting people on the head condescendingly saying, it'll all work out. No. This is God saying, you are in Christ. I have already predetermined your outcome. I know where you're going to be. And I know what you're going to look like no matter what it looks like at this moment, the outcome has been established and regardless of what's happening now, I am going to make it happen like I have determined. And nothing will change that. And if God says it, He has the power to do it. 
God's purpose for the child of God is good. That's what it says, right? And we know that all things work together for good. All we know can include evil, but it works together for good because God has predetermined His purpose. And verse number, let's keep on going to verse number 29. It says this, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. So let me ask you a few questions. To what end was God's predestination? What was the outcome? According to this verse. To be conformed to the image of His Son. This has nothing to do with choosing who is saved who is not. Determining that. What was God's predetermined outcome? That we would be conformed. Look at the verse. We would be conformed to His image. The image of His Son. What group, to what group did he predetermine this outcome for? For whom he did foreknow. Now, the word foreknow, this is going to blow you guys away. This is going to blow you away. What does the word foreknow mean? I bet you don't know. I'm not calling on you. Anybody else? To know beforehand. Now let me ask you a question. If, if you know, some, for instance, say, say you were to get some insider advice or yeah, insider stock advice, right? So say you knew CEO of Apple and, and so you knew Tim Cook and he called you up and said, Hey Ari, tomorrow we're releasing a product that's going to totally change the industry. Nobody knows about it. You would be, you would have foreknowledge. But did you determine the release of that product? No. Just because you know something beforehand doesn't mean that you determined that it would happen. It means that you knew beforehand. And this verse says he, God knew whom he did foreknow. So this is talking about a group of people that God knows beforehand. And we already saw in Ephesians that it says, who first trusted in Christ. So, so I think it's reasonable to, to, to understand that this is referring to people. This is referring to people who are going to trust in Christ. And it says this, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, Miss Pam, are you like Jesus? Benjamin, are you like Jesus? That's a hard question. I asked that question on purpose. That's a hard question to answer. It kind of makes you squirmy. Right? How about you, Miss McLean? Are you like Jesus? All, uh, and if you asked me, I'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm not like Jesus either. What about you at home? They're listening in. Are you like Jesus? Hopefully everybody's going, no, no, no. But let me tell you something. We are not what we shall be. You and I are full of faults and problems and failures. And we have, we have so many, so, so many uh, character flaws and so many bad habits 
and we don't have very much control over our emotions and over our reactions, and we say things we shouldn't, and we do things we shouldn't, and we have bad thoughts and bad motives and bad intentions. We are not much like the Lord now. But God has determined that you will be like Him. And there is nothing you can do. There's no sin you can commit because you're in Christ. There is no sin that you can commit that will, that will thwart that purpose. It will come to pass. There's no temptation from the devil that is strong enough. There's, there's no, no pull from the world that is powerful enough that will thwart that purpose. That should give us hope. Because as we are now, we shall not remain forever. That, that is the grounds upon which we, we desire to be better because we know what we shall be. We know what we shall be. It says in verse number 31, uh, verse, verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Jesus, in that inheritance, he's going to have a whole lot of brothers and sisters to share that inheritance with. By adoption, remember. So these same things are being repeated. Verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. That is a, that's basically a summary of the process of salvation from God's point of view. Notice past tense. Now we can understand called in the past tense. We can understand justified in the past tense because we're already saved. If you're saved, you're saved. I'm saved. I'm justified, right? But what do you say about the word glorified? Are you glorified? To God you are. It's a done deal. This is God speaking from His perspective. We're in Christ and He sees the whole thing. You're, it's as good as done because He has determined. I was talking to David before the, I was talking to David before the service and we were talking about how he's been in some churches that where it was a lot about, you know, uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the idea was you, you strive to be holy and, you know, this is what you have to do to be holy and to please God. And, and, you know, he was talking about that subject. But here's the thing. If we are in Christ and we totally drop the ball and we're not faithful to God and our flesh tempts us and this world tempts us and pulls us down and pulls us away, Here's the thing we must understand. We might not be faithful to God, and often are not, but He will not stop His purpose. He will continue to work in us. We don't have to give people rule after rule after rule and, and hedge them in with thorny bushes just so that they'll stay in line. 
We have a God who has determined the outcome for us that are in Christ, and it is good, and it is right, and it is wonderful, and it is holy, and He is working in us every day, and He is going to bring it to pass. No matter what, what we do, we can rest. We can rest. We don't want to read our Bible. He can change that, right? We don't want to pray. He knows how to change your heart. We have a problem with this temptation. God's going to work in you to rid you of that problem because God is alive and we have His Spirit and He's going to work in us to bring His purpose to pass. It's amazing. So in verse 30, we see these statements are spoken as from God's viewpoint. It's done. From his perspective, done. That means it's sure. You see, it's sure. If God can say it's done, that means there is no doubt as to whether or not it will happen. Every part of his plan is accomplished. We are glorified with him in his sight. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? And this is the question, right? All of these things about predestination, what God has determined to do in us, what shall we say to then, then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Just a few thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, nothing can thwart God's purpose in the life of His people. Nothing. Because God, number two, because God has determined the outcome, we know that He will never, ever change His purpose or His mind toward us. No matter what. And, you know, sometimes people don't want to, they don't want to tiptoe here, so I'm going to say it, okay, just, just so we can have fun. Even if we sin, sometimes we get this idea that as a believer, as a person that's in Christ, if we sin, if we sin, that God's going to somehow change what He's determined. Forget it! These, the, he has determined that those in Christ are going to be like Christ and are going to be his, his children and have His inheritance with His Son. And that was determined before the foundation of the world. You think you sinning one time is going to undo all that? Forget it. It ain't happening. Nothing, absolutely nothing. No suffering, no accusation of sin. Look at verse 33. Or any other thing will alter his purpose. No force or person that is set against us, whether it's satanic, whether it's worldly, whether it's our own selves, will hinder God's plan for, for us from being fulfilled. He is for us. You see that? Who can be against us? I'll put my own self in there, which is probably the biggest problem. My own enemy. But if God be for us, who can be against us? He is for us. He will bring it to pass. He has so determined. And we say, Amen. Let's pray.